Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you are listening to us or watching us. And thank you for being part of the material business community. Today, I have a very special guest, and she comes from the same hometown as I do. So thank you, Claudia, for being here. Go, Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Monica. <laughs> So, Claudia is a professional engineer, university instructor, and EDI, that's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion champion. Before switching to academia, she worked as, uh, at Enbridge, actually, managing petroleum pipeline projects for over 15 years. Today, she works in five different universities. Wow, how do you manage time? And, and that's, not, that's not all, right? <laughs> Uh, and she teaches uh, technical uh, engineering and project management classes. In April 2019, she won the APEGA Summit Award, congratulations, as a champion for women in engineering and geoscience, which she chaired with the CC West 2018 conferences during committee. Claudia is also the founder and the two-time chair of West Women in Engineering Summit a nonprofit organization which debuted with West in 2018 after learning how many women leave the engineer careers after many years of education, hard work, and experience. And we have the tools to retain them, Is that right? So she also uh, was included in the Fellowship of Engineers Canada and leading of the 30 by 30 initiative Claudia was born in Colombia, we already said that, and moved to Canada as a teenager. She lives in Edmonton with her husband and their three children. Again, how do you manage time? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Claudia, and thank you so much for accepting the invitation. It's an honor to have a, a, such a successful person here that shares with us wisdom and, you know, things that will enlighten everyone everyone around thank you so much monica it's my honor to be here so tell us how is that journey of yours going from pipeline engineer to becoming an educator it's fascinating and but it's also two different worlds so how will that change and then what was the inspiration for that transition sure so Monica, my, my original dream when I started engineering was to be a civil engineer. <clears throat> so uh, I wanted to build high rises and bridges and roads and houses. And then, um, and then I moved to Canada as a, as a teenager. So all my schooling was in Canada and I ended up working for a pipeline company. <clears throat> so uh, they also need civil engineers, not just mechanical or chemical engineers. So um, I became an honorary mechanical and I thought I was going to be in pipelines forever. My my plan was to be an old lady and <laughs> retire <laughs> from pipeline engineering with my little cane, you know, walking like a, <laughs> like an old lady. Um, but then the price of oil collapsed in Alberta back in 2014. I mean, the price of oil goes up and down around the world. And Alberta was used to that. In Canada, we are used to that. The price of oil going up, going down, going up, going down. 
But what happened in 2014, specifically in Western Canada, was massive. It was massive. It was a multi-year collapse. And um, the job was not as fun anymore. I, I went from building pipelines, petroleum tanks, hiring people, hiring project managers, um, to firing them, firing them, canceling projects. So it was not a fun job anymore. It was hard work, complex work, but it wasn't fulfilling anymore. So I was already a teacher. I was teaching part-time for um, a technical, uh, a polytechnic. So um, when they sent me the package, because many people were offered packages to leave their work, and uh, I just have to wait two years for mine. <laughs> and when it finally <laughs> arrived, yeah, eventually, Monica, I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with this. When there's layoffs, especially massive layoffs of personnel, hundreds of people losing their jobs every day because of an economy collapse or, or some, some kind of economic um, 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 depression, yeah, downturn. Um, the people that get fired suffer, but the ones that stay behind, that survive, right? We also feel bad. It's it's um at least the ones that are fired, they have closure, right? They have closure and it's over. They can move on with their lives. The ones that stay behind, which happened to me for a whole two years, you did not get fired, but you still have to deal with the consequences of not having enough personnel, not having enough staff. So it was it was horrible. And eventually you're praying to get the package <laughs> and, uh, and mine arrived. Also, I, it was my experience when that happened to me that you're always with the mental issue of Am I going to be next? It's like almost you're kidnapped and you're waiting to be killed. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, when I'm, I'm going to be the next? And you're wishing for that, but at the same time, no. So it's like uh, it, the mental toll on, on a person in that situation is huge. Right. We don't get closure. We never Absolutely. get to a conclusion. So um, I was already a manager, so it was uh, harder too. When you're in management, you see both sides, right? You are seeing the employee experience, but you also see the management experience. In management, we see behind the curtain. So you see more of, of the layoffs that are coming. People are asking you questions and you cannot tell them the truth, right? It's confidential and, and, and you're lying. Eventually, you become a good liar because that's what your job requires. And it was soul crushing. It was definitely soul crushing. And I lasted two years until the package came and I accepted it in a second and a half. And I was, I switched to what I was already doing, which was teaching. And teaching came to me very naturally. Both my parents are professors. So um, it, was, it was just a normal thing for me. To, to be a teacher, and I was already doing it part-time. But when I took that package, I went full-on, headfirst into teaching. And uh, many people told me I was not making a good decision because we make more money in private industry and we make less money in public, which is universities and colleges and, and polytechnics. So I said, <clears throat> I think it's more about the happiness at this point. 
and and I told them I'll find a way to make a lot of money so that the family doesn't suffer. But um, but the switch was very clear and it was purposeful. And and I began teaching and I wanted to stay in engineering, obviously, because um, I love engineering. I didn't want to switch to a different career. I wanted to stay in engineering. So um, so that's when I began. I began marketing myself, networking um, to become a full time uh, university prof. And I had many things against me. One of them is the fact that I did not have a Ph.D., Right, a doctor of philosophy um, degree, which is in Canada, the one thing you need to become a university professor. So I consider getting a PhD, but PhDs take five years, seven years, right? So um, I thought maybe I want to be just an industry professor. An industry professor is somebody that has the experience and they teach, but they don't have a PhD. So I started marketing myself as an industry prof and it worked. I don't have a PhD. I'm probably never going to get a PhD. I just want to teach, uh, Monica. So I I started getting clients. And because of my training in project management, I mean, we're overworked. You know, oil and gas people <laughs> were overworked. We are yeah. experts at having too much work in our hands. We're experts at multitasking. We're experts at just saying yes to more projects, right? More projects, more projects. And um, it was the same with teaching. I was very well trained to to tackle more than one course, tackle more than one faculty, tackle more than one university, tackle hundreds of students. Um, it was normal to me. I'm, I'm a trained project manager too. So I had my schedule done and my work breakdown structure and I had everything well planned. So, and I didn't like to say no. <laughs> and you, the clients come and say, can you please teach this course? Sure, sure, sure. And pretty soon I had five universities and, and I teach in five universities, sometimes simultaneously, like at the same, in the same semester, but, but I can, I can manage it. I love what I do. I love the students. I love my teaching assistants. I love spreading the knowledge of engineering and project management. So, um, so it was not. It has not been uh, difficult to to handle five universities. Actually, there's now seven because <laughs> um, <laughs> I am um, I'm, I'm writing courses for these two universities, um, but I don't teach for them. I, I just write the courses. So, so I have seven now, Monica. <laughs> oh wow, Claudia, you are amazing. And you created the tools that are allowing you to do what you want to do, where you feel, you know, fulfilled and you're happy and you you sound you have all that passion within you. Using the tools that you had already within you. So it it, it reminds me of a quote that says yeah, do what you want to do from the place you are at. So you don't have to reinvent. You don't have to. You didn't want to go to PhD, so you found a solution. You wanted to have more students, then you found a solution. You organized your schedule. You found. You created your tools with what you had, and that's something that sometimes we forget. And uh, we are so overwhelmed with everything and we don't think clearly, but we already have it within ourselves. So that's amazing. Well, congratulations. 
it's it feels so um you feel so passionate about it it's, it's really incredible so and besides that <laughs> you already have been working on EDI that is kind of central to your work and thank you for that we need a lot I, I was in a conference the other day and they said something like we cannot become what we don't see so we need Claudia's out there we need <laughs> we need models for the younger generation so they can see that it's possible especially in the women and, and all that can you tell us what has been your experience with Wes and what is that bringing? What, what has been the learning? What, what is it that motivated you on that realm? We already know that the rate of women entering, and it's different in each region, right? I have spoken with people like in the Middle East, and there is a lot of women going into engineering. It's incredible, like 40%. I was like, oh, wow. But then how many of those go to the workplace? And it drops dramatically. And how many of those escalate? And it goes really almost to none. So in Canada, it's a bit different. It's like 20% kind of the, the statistics. So tell us about it. Well, the, the beginning of that EDI journey, the equity, diversity, and inclusion journey, really began when I was a little girl. Uh, I, was, I was in Colombia. And I was a very good student. I, I was always happy to study as opposed to my, my, my classmates who thought that studying was a pain. And I thought studying is, is a game, it's a, it's a game, it's play. So, so I was very good at school. And um, then there's a point when you start to feel that there's a difference between you and boys, right? the way the teachers talk to you, the way that your parents have expectations on you, the way that society looks at what you do. So even though I was one of the best students, the um, the expectations on me were different. Um, so the, the one person that changed all of that was a professor in university, not university, high school. Um, in high school, these, these, these physics instructor was all of you are the same <laughs> and all of you need to learn math and all of you need to learn physics and he was teaching physics in a high school as if he, as if he was teaching in university like the way mm -hmm. that he the way that he took care of us I mean in that from that high school class half of us are engineers you know what I mean like he was wow he was inspirational he brought us he bought us books like he bought books on numbers how to love numbers and he gave them to us as prizes for answering questions in class i still have that book you know what i mean it's, it's um the, called the man who counted the man who counted by mal batahan so the man who counted is free that book is free online oh. you just have to search uh, the man who counted pdf and you'll get the book and it's kind of like a like a fable a fable about numbers and how numbers change these shepherds' lives, right? Um, he was a very poor shepherd and he became the advisor to the king or the sultan because he knew he knew math, right? So it was it was a, quite of a, a shift because I was gonna go into the humanities, right? The humanities. My parents are the professors, they both have backgrounds in humanities. 
So it was either going to be a lawyer or an accountant, even a doctor I can see there at a time. But after that class, I was going to go into physics and physics is engineering. So um, so I, I, I really value that that experience that um, somebody said you can be an engineer and that changed everything because I had the ability to do engineering. I, I was not scared of hard work. But um, but that was the beginning of it. And then we moved to Canada. And actually, I studied one year in Colombia. In Colombia, I had one year of engineering at the Universidad del Norte in Barranquilla, uh -huh. Colombia. And that one year was amazing. Half of the class was female. Like, this, this is normal in, mm -hmm. in, in Latin countries. Like you were saying about the Middle East, half of the class was female. So I thought that was normal, just like high school. Half of the class is female. And then I moved to Canada, to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I go to my first year of engineering in Canada in English. And the room was filled of men, filled with men. And I'm, the shock was subconscious at first. And then it became more obvious as time went on that there was only but 10, 15% of the class was female and everybody else was male. So um, so I lived with that for the whole bachelor degree and then the master's degree and then go to work, right? Work in pipelines. I was still in the minority. Like it was such a small minority, 10%, I'm, I'm guessing, in, in offices for engineering staff who identify as female. Um, but you do the work, right? It's normal to be the minority. And then you advance in your career and you're the only woman in the room. And I became a, a, a senior project manager. So I'm the one telling people what to do. I'm the boss. I'm the money. And you're the only woman in the room. And then you become a manager. And I'm one of the few female managers in engineering. So it was quite the, the interesting experience. You don't realize that you're thirsty because there's no water, right? <laughs> that's that's normal. Um, but then, but then you go into these, you know, these mature moments when you think, why is the world like this, right? Why is the world like this? And you feel that isolation um, at work. So when I left Enbridge, I considered living engineering for like two seconds because I was stressed out. I was stressed out and it was not a happy experience to, to fire people. So, and I was scared. I'm like, how can Claudia, me, the, the, the flag bearer of engineering, right? How can I, who loves engineering, consider leaving the field? And, and then all those articles I had read about equity, diversity, and inclusion in engineering made sense. Ah, this is what happens. You, you make the woman, the woman or the women suffer enough in this isolating system, eventually they're going to give up on you and they're going to leave. So I thought for a second, two seconds about leaving engineering, but I loved it too much. So, so I became uh, um, a campaigner, right? More women in engineering, because if I could save myself and stay, I could save other women from quitting. So that's when we opened the Women in Engineering Summit. So Wes, Wes was created because of that moment when I thought I was going to leave the industry 
and um, we run summits every every year. We bring experts, speakers, and panelists, and we have we even have a contest, an essay contest, so people can um, write essays, win money to pay for their PH application, their professional engineer application. Sometimes it's money. The thing that's holding people back is money. Mm -hmm. So we solve that by giving them this essay contest they can apply for. And um, and then speakers and, and just the whole community coming together to uh, to give them that little push to keep them um, from quitting engineering because it's hard. Like it's a difficult job. It's complex. It's stressful. But we have the added aspect that we are a minority. So women in engineering and science and technology and construction and mathematics, um, we are in the minority and you are in a system that is not made for you. So you have to either adjust to the system or quit. So um, so that's that's the whole experience. And even now, my daughter just entered university. My only daughter just entered university and she chose a technical field and she's gonna be the minority again, right? So it's it's that whole confluence of, of emotions that um, make me stay working in EDI because like you said, if you can see it, you can copy it, right? You can You can become it. it. And it's you have said many super interesting things. Like the first one is you had that person that trusted and believed in you and said, you can do it. Like, but it's, it doesn't matter that you're a female, like go and go after it. And it made me remind, I did, I did volunteer in schools in Calgary some years ago, promoting, you know, engineering. So we go and talk to grade one students. And it's very funny because they are marvelous. They have this super creative minds that you cannot even imagine. You don't have it anymore, right? <laughs> and then there's this, after the presentation, I talked about welding. And then after the presentation, this little girl came to me and said, so are you saying that girls also can be engineers? And I was like, yes. If, yeah, I don't care that you didn't get anything else, but if that is what you got, yes. And all the other girls, you listen to this girl, like say it. So it was very empowering in that moment because then you have the opportunity to see some little eyes, you know, spark. And that is very 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 great like I was very grateful for the experience so definitely you are creating that path but also you're creating all those opportunities and I call it extending the ladder right so you're extending the ladder for other people to climb it and then to become to realize that yeah it, there are there hurdles and it's complex and it's difficult but we can do it and then there is this support system so you don't you didn't know there is a support system here it is there is a support system if you don't have if you don't have any like join this because it is having that support system makes the loneliness be less like heavy because right. some like you are like I like exactly like you right I was the only female in my class I was the only pregnant in my team. I was the only female manager in the team of Americas. And so it's very lonely. You cannot turn around and say, hey, what what have you done in this situation to your counter female part? Because you don't have one. 
So if you don't have it within the organization, there is these kinds of initiatives that definitely, and I have said it all the time, whoever is listening to this and wants to have a chat because they feel they need some some words of whatever, reach out because it is it is that that makes us stronger and then we feel that we are not the only ones. True. Thank you. Thank you for that. So as a leader of the 30 by 30, you know, your commitment and your increasing representation and then all the women in engineering. So what are the strategies? Can you outline maybe some of the key strategies or initiatives of this movement, especially? And then how is, what is the goal? Sounds good. The 30 by 30 initiative um, was brought together nationally by Engineers Canada. So Engineers Canada is kind of like the umbrella organization of all the provinces who regulate engineering because engineering is regulated per province. So Alberta has APEGA and um, BC has EGBC. So there's a specific provincial regulator for engineering and geoscience in every province. But Engineers Canada is the umbrella organization that supports all of them. And they brought forward the 30 by 30 initiative, which actually came from Alberta, came from APEGA, but they took it nationally. So Engineers Canada has taken this nationally. And the goal, I love goals because these goals have numbers. I'm a, I'm a project manager, I'm an engineer. I want numbers and I want targets. So the, the, the statement is that by the year 2030, 30% of newly licensed engineers and geoscientists will identify as female. So that's the 30 by 30, 30% by the year 2030. Right now, the number is close. It's at 21%, but we still have, what, seven years to go to get it to 30. In fact, we need to get it to 35 and 40 just to be safe because mm -hmm. um, we have been at 20 for decades. <laughs> we have been at 20 for decades. When I was in university at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, the number was 19%. And 25, 30 years later, we're still at 20. Like, how is this? So, so that's when you do nothing. When you do nothing, you're going to stay at 19, 19, 19. So we have to do a lot to even move it 2%, 3%, never mind 10% or 11% to get it to the 30% that we need. And that requires change. And the, the lessons that we have learned from running the Women in Engineering Summit, now we're going to be, we're gonna be on our sixth year, year number six of the summit. We have been doing... Um, polls with our attendees and our speakers and our panelists. The panelists and the speakers present topics and we take notes on what they're saying. So there are three, three solutions, um, three lessons learned that we have confirmed again and again are going to be the, the tipping points. And we don't have them, like the solutions are not being applied because the system is so, so, so um, fixed. Right? The system is, is, has been working well for the last 100 years. Um, the change has to be uh, serious. So the lesson number one 
on how to get to the 30 by 30 is we need to have equality in pay. Pay equity. You, you do a job A and you should get the same salary as another person that is doing job A regardless of your gender. And right now that number is not the same. Even, I mean, in engineering, the gap is smaller, but it's still massive when you realize how much money you're losing because how salaries are granted or, or given it has to do with negotiation. Mm-hmm. And negotiation is not how we're supposed to get paid because men are really good at negotiating in a system that is made for men, right? But women negotiating with men, because men are the majority of the bosses, we don't have the same the same skills. We we are expected to behave differently. We're not supposed to be aggressive, right? Um, so then the whole pay structure, if you make it based on negotiation as opposed to merit, then you're going to have men getting paid more than women because we are more peacemakers. We are more willing to to compromise. That's how society expects us to behave and that's how we like to behave. So the pay has to be based on the work, which is why unions, all these organizations, labor unions that make contracts with the employer and everybody's gonna get paid the same amount of money for this job, unions are the solution. We need unions in engineering. The same way we have them in construction, we need them in engineering because union contracts seem to be the only way we're going to be able to get um, equal pay or the law. The law has to change. Mm-hmm. And the law has, I mean, we have the Employment Equity Act of the federal government of Canada, but it, it's not been enforced. Like it's not, it's not been enforced. And uh, we, we have pay differences of 20%. 30% between men and women doing the exact same job. So, so that one is number one. We need to make sure that we have a pay equity. Um, the second solution is to deal with the harassment, harassment, discrimination, all these things that are under the law are illegal. They're already illegal in Canada anyway. You, you, you need to enforce harassment policies, not just in the government level, but in the corporate level organizations, private industries, private companies, small firms, they are very soft on on enhancing or enforcing harassment and discrimination um, um, guides or guidelines. I mean, they're already there. The government has them, private industry has them, HR, the human resource department already works on that, but it's not to the right level of enforcement. It's still very soft in how they apply these rules. So all these women who are dealing with bosses who are discriminatory or who are um, mentally harassing them, emotionally harassing them, sexually harassing them, they have no place to go. And the only place to go is to quit. And then they quit. And because of the normality of this in engineering, they quit the whole field. Of engineering, so it's um we need to be more purposeful about enforcing harassment and discrimination policies. I mean they already exist; they're already there. We just have to use them 
because the people that are suffering the most are minorities, not just women in engineering, but but um, LGBTQ plus, right? People with disabilities, physical disabilities, mental disabilities, neurodiverse people, right? Immigrants. Newcomers. Right, to Canada. So all these things, never mind women who make up more than half of the world, we're not supposed to be a minority, but we are in a lot of places, especially uh, highly technical uh, places. So that's number lesson number two. Lesson number three. Lesson number three is one of my my uh, my personal passions. Lesson number three is we need to promote women. We need to promote women at work. We need to encourage them to get their professional designation. We need to tell them I'll pay for your PN application. Uh, for the first year, and then you can pay for the other years, right? Anything to get more women in engineering to get their professional designation. We need more of them to be promoted. Senior project manager, senior engineer, chief engineer, make them supervisors, make them managers, make them directors, make them vice presidents, make them CEOs, right? We We are not being forced to do it yet to promote more women into positions of power because the law is still very flexible, right? It's, 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 um, it exists that you're supposed to promote the women in your organization as a, as a concept, but it's, um, but it's still applied very uh, liberally. It's not, it's not a, a solid plan, which is why I'm a big fan of numbers. We need to have targets. And many people, even women in engineering, have disagreed with me that we need targets for, for hiring. They say, no, 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 the best person is supposed to get it. I go, we are the best person. Oh, yeah, but then I don't want to be known as the person that was um, the, the person that was chosen because of the target. So affirmative action. You don't want to be the one that was mm -hmm. hired because of the law, right? And I go, forget that. It's never gonna change unless we start following targets. You, you're, we are humans. Humans hire people that look like them. Humans hire people that act like them. I mean, when I was a manager, <clears throat> I was very appreciative of female applicants. Why? Because I'm a female, right? So we already hire who we like who looks like us, talks like us, moves like us, dresses like us. So it is almost impossible to achieve um, gender diversity in engineering if the majority of the boss bosses are still men. So it is it is really hard and we that's why we need targets. And, and targets in the world of business, Monica, no single organization that wants to make money is ignoring targets. All of them are. Wall Street, private companies, public companies, all of them have a target on how much money they want to make or how much market share they want to achieve. Why can't we do that with EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion? I yeah, mean, definitely. It's, 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 I mean, to, to, to make it so simple, that is a formula, because I'm, I'm really into turning things into formulas for my students. Um, you need to match your workforce availability. WFA, workforce availability, how many people in the market are trained to do this job and match it with your hires. 
So if it's 20% women graduating from engineering, right, that's WFA, workforce availability, 20% of women in Canada um, um, in engineering are graduating, there should be 20% hires in every single engineering firm in the world or in Alberta at least. 20% just to match population. So that's the math and we don't have that math. That math is not even working. So um, so there, there's the, the three solutions. Number one, equal pay. Number two, you need to be tough on harassment and discrimination. And number three, we need to promote women. It is, um, it's, it's uh, even to the population levels. We're not asking to be more, although it should be more, because we make more money for companies actually, um, but at least to match the graduation rate would be nice. So those are the three solutions. And I hope, I hope, organizations begin to accept those um, or the government is going to make us because the government is waiting for companies to do it on their own but um but it's not gonna work so so uh, we i know we and the target the target seems so at least in like gender pay like equal pay it seems so huge is like in, in latin america it's around like 200 years Right. Uh, and so it's like not even my grandchildren, if I ever had grandchildren, will see what we are fighting for, Claudia. And that is very, it, it's, it should worry everyone because it is proven. It is absolutely proven. And you, you like numbers and you like proofs. And, you know, I have that proof. When you have diverse diversity at the table, so age, not only gender, but age, gender experience, uh, different backgrounds. And we have said it, in, I, think, I think in the last 10 podcasts, everyone comes and say, we need diversity. We need to have more people. We need to work together. We need not only engineers, we have to talk to the you know, accountant and this and that. So when we have that diversity, then there is more challenges because then if they, everyone the same, and we think the same, we think alike, it's less challenges. So we don't see things from perspectives that are foreign to us. Whether if we have that foreign perspective already in our team, then it'll be easier to present a solution to that area. So absolutely, it is, it is those three topics where you have summarized it really well. I will say that on the third point, which is your passion the mentoring becomes so important and then for girls or, or women to escalate if we give them the opportunity to get mentors then they see they see there is a possibility there is a Claudia out there that is doing something there is you know so many other magnificent women that we have had in the podcast and they have some like a, a little light that they it is there and even if they don't know how to get there it's still shining so beautifully put three things that we need to work it's a <laughs> cultural change it's just like when we talked about health and safety right like 30 years ago we walk in pipelines no I even worked <laughs> I, I even walked pipelines without my you know my heart my harness because it wasn't that complex Normal. at that time yeah. it was normal yeah. 
but culturally we change because we kill people. Right. And, and now it is an absolute no. So it, it's that cultural shift that we need to, to get to. So it meant time has gone by so fast. I wish we had another hour. Um, but likely I'm going to ask you to come again <laughs> and continue <laughs> the sure. discussions. It is amazing. What is your last message to the audience? Well, the you were saying about mentors, and I think we need to switch our mentality that is not about mentors anymore. It used to be about mentors, and mentors were very useful, and they helped us navigate this foreign world and foreign system. Um, but the mentors were trying to make us fit. Mm-hmm. Mentors were trying to make us into men, right? In the world of engineering, act like men, think like a man, you know, behave like a man, and then you'll fit in. So uh, mentors had their job and they helped us survive and get into these jobs. But the future to make those numbers change, uh, Monica, we don't need mentors. We need sponsors. Sponsors. (laughs) Yeah, sponsors. A person that will say your name in the room and say, why don't you hire or why don't you invite for an interview this person? So we need a sponsor that can do that for us because our name is not getting mentioned in those rooms. Mm-hmm. They're mentioning their buddies, they're mentioning their friends, they're mentioning their colleagues, they're mentioning the people they go play golf with, they mention the name of the people they go drinking with, they go mention the name of the person that is the son of their best friend, right? So our name is not getting mentioned in those rooms, and then we're surprised when we don't get a job interview. <laughs> We're surprised when we're, we don't get um, the, the 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 big job project thing that just came into the office. Our name was never mentioned, not once, as a possibility. Why? Because they think we're different. We they think we're weird. <laughs> they think, oh, we have kids now, so we're, we don't pay attention to work. <laughs> um, we need more money now because we have kids to feed, right? Like when we become parents, and it happens to men and women and to all the other genders in between, we need better work, more money, because we have kids. So we become even more focused and more, you know, uh, committed. So it's, um, we, we need sponsors. We need people that will say your name in those rooms and say, have you thought of interviewing Monica? Have you thought of promoting Monica, right? So these, these switch from mentors to, to uh, sponsors needs to happen and quickly because we don't play golf some of us don't know how to play yeah. golf right we don't go drinking we don't have smoking breaks like we don't go outside to smoke in the street and with the people right um we act different than our bosses and we look different than our bosses so we don't get invited to these smaller groups so that's my last message that you need to go find a sponsor somebody that will say your name in those rooms and give you the opportunity or hire you. Sponsors hire you all the time. They say, you're the one. Um, I'm, I'm, I cannot believe I never thought of you. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, that's what we need. No more mentors. Mentors had their role. We need sponsors, people that can actually bring us to those new rooms. Um, and now we don't have to be different. 
mentors were trying to turn us into something we're not. Um, but we we cannot be that anymore. It's really hard to be fake. You uh, at work, so you have to be authentic at work. And um, sponsor will say, whoever you are, I like it. Let's put you in this position uh, of power. So that would be my my message, Monica. Go find a sponsor. <laughs> and it's a good, it's a good. Uh, maybe it's a semantic, but it's it's a really good shift of point of view of you don't have to become someone that you're not uh, because we all tried right right I tried it and uh, it, it beat me back uh, because then when you become what they want you to become then you're aggressive and you're yeah. very disrespectful and how right. how come you can't uh, behave <laughs> so <laughs> it is it, it is that it's true that you're not you don't have to become someone who is not you your authentic self Right. But then you should be rewarded for who you are and what you bring to the table, which is amazing, right? We have a lot of other things uh, that put together can bring that. So that sponsor term becomes the new change in culture, I guess, uh, from make you fit to accepting and embracing the capabilities that you're bringing. Right. Right. It's, it's a fascinating, Monica, when uh, when you think about those people that give you the chance, the opportunity, um, they they were not mentors. They were they were actually making things happen for you. So I think that's where the semantic difference is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And and yeah. we have had lots of like here in the podcast, I have had interviewed uh, women that were. Uh, proposed by men right so someone said you should I noticed you're, you're interviewing a lot of women you should talk to this one and we make sure all the time that we reward that because it is very empowering not only for me obviously I love it but for the person herself because right. then it's okay I'm, I'm being seen it's I'm being noticed and this is good so right. For all those people that are pushing ahead and then reaching out, that is that is amazing. And they may not realize it yeah, because right. it's, it doesn't. It's only like an email or a call. But I make sure that every time that happens, I open the space for that opportunity because it is very important and it will mark the rest of maybe. Um, an era, an era that we are trying to make here. Right. Claudia, gracias. <laughs> it's, been, it's been amazing. Uh, I loved your energy. I hope we can get another another time with you, sure. maybe later on, and um, keep on doing all that beautiful work that you're doing and reaching out. And hopefully we can make something powerful and at least we are giving visibility and showing people what are the things. We are acknowledging that there are problems. We are giving solutions. Now it's only for you guys to, you know, take it on and then move forward with it. For sure. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy you invited me. It's, uh, it's nice to spread messages like this because um, we are on a campaign. Like we're in the middle of the 30 by 30 campaign. And Engineers Canada is is happy that this is happening. 
and the government of Alberta is happy and the government of Canada is happy because the governments know, they know. We, we need more women in engineering and science and technology and construction, not because it's a humanistic thing to do. <laughs> uh, it might have started that way, but it's a business imperative. Absolutely, absolutely. I just the read economy. it. It's like, if like we are losing in Canada, I think it's, I don't know how many billion uh, because of the workforce is not equal. So absolutely, like you said, it's we are half of the population of the world. So if we go and put our little grain of salt or sand, yeah. then we can we can make a difference. It's economic as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a money it's a money thing. It, it was at the beginning it was humanistic about human rights, which is human rights actually. Absolutely. Uh, but but it is not motivating anybody. So money money motivates people. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Claudia, thank you once again. And then to all the audience, thank you for being with us, sharing our our channels. And then we hope we can continue the growth. We'll see you in two weeks. And my name is Monica Hernandez, your host of Material Business. Thank you so much. Bye.